This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. If someone were to ask you if you were more like Jesus today than you were a year ago, what would your honest answer be? Let's ask our spouses. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. This is the day you've made. We rejoice in it. Thank you, God, that we get to worship you. We get to be with fellow believers. Lord, we say thank you from the bottom of my heart, Lord, for loving us and, and, and letting us be a part of what a beautiful church that you have. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You know, uh, I put on social media this morning that I look forward to worshiping Jesus with my brothers and sisters uh, that love Jesus. So that's you guys, and I absolutely do love it. Um, Last week, I found myself out of town at my high school reunion. How many of you ever been to your high school reunion? It's worth going to. Uh, Anybody been to your 10-year, 20-year, 30-year? Some of you are getting up to 40 years. Wow, yes, I'm raising my hands too. <laughs> that was my 40th high school reunion. I don't know how it happened, uh, but man, in a blink of an eye, uh, you're graduating at Robarts Arena on Fruitville Road one moment, and uh, fast forward 40 years, uh, you're <laughs> you're going to your 40th high school reunion. I had a, an epiphany. Like when I was, uh, 40 years ago was my high school graduation, and 40 years prior to my high school graduation, uh, there was, uh, United States was in the middle of World War II. And so it's just like, wow. Uh, you know, back in, when you're 18, you think 40 years before is just, uh, that's like a lifetime away, but uh, now 40 years ago today seems like yesterday. We got to see about 60 of my st- fellow classmates. It is interesting. Now, I know that because I'm older, we weren't raised with social media, so a lot of, not a lot, but enough of my classmates are not really on social media. So I ran into a friend, I saw his name, it, his face looked familiar, and boy, I just couldn't see it. So I had to sneak away to the yearbook and like, yes, I see it now. Um, I think I shared this a few weeks ago. I had a good friend of mine in campus ministry. He he went to college with me, and he's like, Mario! And I'm like looking for his name badge. Steve! You know, and act like, you know, for like two, three years, I played along like, you know, I knew who he was. Um, And then one day he posted his social media, his wedding photo. I was like, I know that guy. Uh, That guy had like deep, deep red hair, and the guy I met, you know, a few years ago, and, uh, you know, it's gray hair and not a lot of hair, so just amazing how uh, we change. I've changed, even though I was voted least changed, okay, but I know I've changed. Uh, the fact of the matter is I showed my grandkids a photo of me, uh, the night, you know, the, my wedding photo, and I said to my grandkids, like, who is that pointing to me? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> so, and now don't laugh too hard because it happens to all of us, all right? It happens to all of us. Uh, the only thing that really keeps me uh, getting votes, voted least changed is my dark hair. I, I, 
I genetically, my parents, they never did, never got gray, and I, I got the blessing. So uh, what a journey uh, it was last week. So thank you for letting me go and enjoy. I uh, had the opportunity to share the gospel. I've had classmates that are in prison, and um, I was trying to find them so I could go visit them, and I didn't have a chance, but I will soon. You know, we just finished a big series on how to live victoriously in the valley. How to, you know, we're not just a church that always lives on the mountaintop. We know that all of us, all of us will have valley experiences. And some can, those valleys, some of them can be pretty dark. I was at a church last week, my, my home original church. It's called the Tabernacle. And the Tabernacle, if you go there today on DeSoto Road, if you're going to Sanctuary, um, the average age is probably 80 years old. You know, people, uh, the, the, the worship leader was trying to get people to stand up. And, of course, half of them couldn't stand up. Um, lots of wheelchairs, uh, lots of canes. Almost everybody had gray hair. I mean, it was um, an older, older church. But I was just so amazed and just so um, encouraged because I know, not just statistically, but I know by fact that the back of the people's heads that I was looking at because I sat in the back, I could, I know all of them have experienced deep valley experiences. I happened to see a family member that I knew that she was now a widower. I knew, I saw another guy that I knew from the back of his head, and I know that his kids have gone through divorce. And then I saw another friend of mine who was there. Um, I saw the back, and I know that um, one of his children had died. And then I saw another one, a friend of mine, he was there worshiping Jesus, and his five-year-old daughter died while I was attending the church back in the day. And there he was, worshiping Jesus. And I just thought to myself, this is a great picture of what it looks like to live victoriously. They're not home, pouting, mad at God. They're at church, worshiping him, in spite of all the valleys they lived in. So in the natural, we would look at that church like that's an old fogey church, that's a dying church, that's a, a church that's, you know, that's, you know, what's going to happen in the future? But what I saw was, a, it's, it's kind of like going to the VFW, people who fought the battle, who fought the war, and are still worshiping Jesus. I literally wanted to stand back there and go, yes, you guys all deserve a hand clap. Now, what I love about going to Sarasota is they all call me, hey, youngster, hey, uh, you know, they, I'm like, I'm the young guy in Sarasota. I love going to Publix there. Uh, so. so today I want to jump on that. And uh, we did a series about five years ago in the book of Philippians. And I know we're going to get up to Christmas and we'll go into Christmas uh, season here really soon in a couple of weeks. But in the next two weeks and probably two weeks after that, I just want to... Uh, maybe marry the, 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 uh, the series of living victoriously in the valley and, and this message in the book of Philippians. Now, because of time, I'm going to rush through a story, a story that many of you know. How many of you know the story about the elephant and the ch little chain and the, the little pole in the ground? Yes, a few of you. It's, it's a famous story. Many of you know it. Uh, it's a little old because it's about a boy who went to the circus. And little boys don't go to circuses anymore. You know, uh, there's really, in a lot of ways, no need. Uh, I, we had the blessing. Uh, my, my grandson was a little under the weather, so he stayed home. And one of the things he likes to do on watch television, I try to get him to watch the Flintstones, but he wasn't interested. 
Uh, I don't know how he could not be interested in the Flintstones. Uh, but he was interested in watching these like zoo animals, like turtles and alligators and stuff like that. He was just trying to, just absorbing all that. You know, back in the day before television and YouTube and all that, people would go to these circuses and, and to see the exotic animals. And uh, this little boy, and I'm just paraphrasing because I'm going to crunch the story. This little boy was anxious to go to the circus. So he goes to the circus and he sees these huge animals. And one of them in particular was an elephant. And the elephant did all these tricks and all that, and people applauded. And he just fell in love with the elephant, so he asked his dad if he can go to the back in, uh, behind the uh, circus tent and go see the animals up close. And he did. And he noticed that the elephant was outdoors, and he noticed this huge animal was being tied by one of its legs by a little, little string attached to a pole. And the little boy was smart enough to know, like, something's not right. That elephant is so big and so strong, it could literally rip that rope and pull that stake out of the ground. But it didn't. It stayed in its place. And so the son, of course, asks his parents. The parent says, I don't know. And then the son goes to his science teacher. And the science teacher says this. He understands and explained this. Although the animal is quite big now, it once was very, very small. And when it was small, someone tied a rope around its leg and tied it to a stake. And when it was small, it wasn't able to pull that rope away, you know, pull, you know snap the rope and pull the stake out. And so it probably fought for a couple years, but then the small little elephant got the picture that he wasn't going to be able to escape. And so as the elephant got bigger, the elephant only lived in the past of what he remembered. And so today, a big elephant can be controlled by a little string attached to a rope because he has, it's been embedded in his spirit that he can't escape. And why reason I share this story is that it it's so resembles so many of us, and, and me included, that we are still tied by a little string to some little pole because we're tied to the past, and we can't escape it, although we can. Amen? The, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Philippians is going to teach us how we can get free from the chains that bind us. The physical chains, the emotional pains, the, the, the chains of the past. Just going back to high school reunion, you'll still see that people are still uh, chained to the past. Uh, and sadly, a lot hasn't changed since high school. And so people are chained to the past. As believers, we can have the power to be broken. Uh, we have the power to break through those chains. Amen? So Paul is going to help us through the book of Philippians to help us and give us some lessons. And hopefully we will learn how to develop spiritually, how we can live in community, how do we deal with the problem of suffering, which we just went through a series about that. How does God's grace interact in our lives and how we live? And how do we relate to a secular, non-Christian world? I love it. If you turn your Bible to verse 1, Philippians, 
It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. There's a word in there I'd like for you to go back to and just look at it for a moment. And it says, to all the saints. And Paul makes a declaration about who we are. It would be like someone writing a letter about the Mosaic Church. And let's just say I opened the letter. Someone that maybe doesn't, we don't really know, and they don't really know you, but they know a few people. Somebody who knows me and, and the elders, and he writes a letter to us, and it says to the, to the family at Mosaic Church, to so all the saints in Mosaic Church. Now, that's a challenge because I know that sometimes, and I imagine you sometimes, don't feel very saintly. Anybody there with me? Sometimes I don't feel like a saint. But Paul tells his people in the Philippi and Philipp Philippines, Philippines. <laughs> Let me drink some water. <laughs> uh, I beat out the Philippine, you know, that's, you know, not least change. So I was happy about that. He beat me the first three decades. Philippians, Philippi, that's where... Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. He calls us saints. It'd be like someone writing us a letter, calling us all saints. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not much of a saint. But he calls us all saints. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're part of his church, and you say yes to Jesus, one of the, I love one of the most... Uh, sweeping and declaring words that we get out of the scriptures is that we are called saints. We may not feel like it, but we are. This is our new identity in Christ. And I want to remind us that we have a new identity in Christ. My identity is in Jesus. All right? It's not in my youthful look or my youthful skin or my youthful humor. Come on, play with me a little bit. It's in Christ. Now, the word saint means those who are set apart. And the moment you say yes and you bow your knee to Jesus, you are now set apart and part of his family, and you are called saints. Now, one thing I love about that, you being called saint is your spiritual position. You're on the team. I'm glad Michael's here because I'm going to go back to football reference. I imagine you had people try out for the team. Did anybody not make the team? Yes. And more so in basketball. He's also the basketball coach. And so uh, have you ever had the opportunity to try out for a team? Um, you know, I've had, the, I've had the blessing of not being selected. That's no fun. Uh, but I've also had the opportunity to put on the jersey. One of the things I loved about going to school and being part of the team is on game day you get to wear the jersey anybody there yeah remember that I got to <laughs> Bryce wore the jersey I got to wear the jersey but that doesn't mean I'm on the starting team amen and I saw like I said a few weeks ago I saw a few boys on the championship team I saw a couple boys I want to joke around like put number 54 in uh, he didn't see the light of day he got some water I did notice that but when Paul calls us saints, it's like we're getting a jersey. 
You're getting the jersey. You get to walk at church with the jersey on. You are part of the team. And for that, I'm so grateful for because it is only by grace that I get to wear the jersey. It wasn't something I did. It wasn't like I actually tried out and I was awesome. Jesus loved me enough, and uh, I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit that he, and I, and I lifted my hands up as a sign of surrender. And Jesus lets me be a part of the team, and he calls me a saint. But that's my position, is I'm on the team. Help me out. I kind of shared it before the service. But the Bible says, you were once dead, but now what? You are what? Alive. The Bible says, you were once far off, but now you're what? You've been brought near. The Bible tells us that once we were a stranger to God, but now we are his sons and daughters because we're on the team. I once was a foreigner and an alien, but now what? I am a citizen of heaven, the kingdom of God. Maybe you know this one. We were once lost, but now what? Because of Christ, we are found. So no matter who you used to be, doesn't matter how you used to live or what you've done, when you come to Christ, you find forgiveness and you enter into a relationship with God and you experience a dramatic identity change. You get to wear the jersey. You get to walk in the hallways with a little swagger. I'm on the team. And God declares you've been set apart. You are a saint. Just say that together. I'm a saint. I'm a saint, yes. But where does that leave us? We have a jersey now. We've been on the team. Where does that leave us? Well, the goal of having the jersey on is that we have a new identity and now we have the opportunity to live up to the potential that God has destined for us wearing that jersey. His, his plan, God's plan, is to make you and me like Jesus. That's simple, right? I mean, it's not a complex plan. Is to be like Jesus. The goal for you and for me is to become the person that God has already declared us to be, a saint. So he's telling us, we're going to read in Philippians, he's calling us a saint, but he's going to ask us to rise up and live up to the name, to live up to the jersey. You know, when you on the team, there are certain requirements you have to go to class. You have to get a certain GPA. You have to show up to practice. You have to do certain things because you got to live up to wearing the jersey. So God is going to challenge us, calling us saying, now we have to live like one. The beautiful thing is, is that he says, he doesn't just say it. He helps us through the Holy Spirit, through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He's infilling us with supernatural power to live up to the title of saint. Had the blessing to have uh, someone help me uh, watch the game last night, and he was part of the team here in town. 
And I know little by little, because I've been around the campus enough, that when you get to wear the jersey, you get certain benefits. Like one of the benefits is you get to eat at the athletic cafeteria. And they'll feed you. You know, and, and if, uh, if the lineman coach thinks you need to be weighing 325 and you're only at 285, what are they going to do? They're going to give you enough nutrition and weightlifting classes and all that kind of stuff to help you to live up to the potential that they see that you have as a player. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower us, just like that school will do whatever it can to empower the player to live up to its potential, the Holy Spirit is going to do the same for us. And and certain schools, and one of them would be ours, I mean, they will pour, pour resources after resources for these players who are wearing the jersey, they will get them the state of the art athletic gear, state of the art uh, workout place, state of the art computer analysis, nutrition. They'll, they pour thousands and thousands of dollars, probably per player, to make sure that they can live up to the potential for wearing that jersey. They don't do it for the Joe Normal student. You try to go into the athletic cafeteria, you can't anymore. You used to be able to. I try to sneak in, and she goes, there's only players. I said, I'm the kicker. And she almost believed me. So I tried saying, Bill was with me, I think. We tried to sneak in. I said he was the placeholder. <laughs> but colleges will spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to train, help, empower, set up that player to live up to its full potential. And and Jesus is doing the same for us, same for us. So just because there is a cafeteria for the athlete, and just because there is a weight room for the athlete, it doesn't mean the athlete actually uses it. The athlete has to do something. He has to walk his way to the cafeteria, walk his way to the workout room. And God is not just saying, hey, I've empowered you. I've given you all this uh, resources through the Holy Spirit, through the word, through encouragement of friends and families of our fellow believers. But guess what we have to do? We have to go and work in synchronization with the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 3. I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership. You have to partner with God. Now that you're on the team, you have to partner with him. And I love that you're here, and I know I'm preaching to the choir But one of the things of partnering, of course, is coming to church and and glorifying his name. In verse, it goes on to say, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a very famous verse. Most of you should probably know it. I'm confident of this very thing, that he began a good work in you And he will carry it into completion until the day of Jesus Christ. 
He goes on to say, it is right for me to feel this way all about you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection I long for you, for all of you, for the affection of Christ Jesus. Now you have to remember that Paul is writing and penning this letter to people he knows and doesn't know. But he's fond of the church. And he's writing from prison. But he writes this big thought, and I don't know if you caught it. He who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion. All of you, if you said yes and bowed your knee to Jesus, God began to work on you, whether you know it or not. I pray that you do know it. I pray that God will help you in remembering that he's working a good work with you. What has he started in your life? What are you actually, what is God working on you? He who began a good work, what is that work? I'm not going to answer for you. You should know what that work is. Of course, fulfilling and and making you into uh, uh, like his son, Jesus. So where are you spiritually? What exactly did God start in your life? How is that work coming along? I've already asked this question, but I'll ask it again. If someone were to ask you, where are you growing spiritually right now? Or what are you discovering about God right now? What would your answer be? Or how about this one? Do you feel close to God? That's a good question. Do you feel close to God? What is God working in on you? Sometimes we have a a challenge, and I know this has been a challenge in my life throughout the years, is that sometimes God becomes more of a concept, an idea, maybe like a culture, but not a person. He's more like a concept more than a father. We love talking about God, but we don't really talk about having a relationship with him. The challenge for me is, do I sense his presence and talk about his presence throughout the day? Have we thought about his presence? Here's the big question, and that's why I loved being at this elderly church last week. If you and I were met head on with failure, humiliation, suffering, and this is what the Apostle Paul was going through, or death, how do you think you would do? Spiritually, how would you do? Do you feel like you're in spiritual shape? A few minutes ago, we got to worship Jesus and engage in public worship. But when was the last time you did it privately? Being a Christ follower is more than just putting the jersey on. You know, when uh, you're in fourth quarter and uh, you need your team to win, um, Michael wasn't calling number 54, the kid, little kid with the jersey. He just wasn't there. He was calling on certain players who were there, who had the size, the speed, the intellect, understanding of the plays, the concept of the game. 
Here's another way to find out how we're doing spiritually. Uh, when was the last time we obeyed one of the Holy Spirit promptings? Have you ever heard the Holy Spirit's like, call someone, encourage them in the Lord, and then you do it. Or you had a God encounter and you knew that you needed to share the gospel with someone, like that person needs prayer, go talk to them. And you did. See, the task of Jesus, of God, is to make us more like Jesus. We are to be Christ's followers. Paul says, he who began a good work in you will see it through. The question I have is, what work is he working in us? Because God's design is to complete the work that has been started. He saved us. He loves us. But now he wants to transform us. I love this verse in John 15. Remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Are we tied into the vine so much so that, man, the fruit of, this, fruit of the vine is just blossoming in our lives? Here's what I'm trying to say is that spirituality growth doesn't just happen. A long, long time ago, I started golfing. <laughs> and don't look if that was a good form or anything. Uh, I remember golfing uh, like five o'clock afternoon with some older guys and I'd go out there and then I got a little interested in golf and I remember buying some shoes and I probably went to Goodwill and bought my first set of golf shoes. Any other golfers out there? Yeah, a few of you. I mean, you, get, you have sticks and you play from time to time. Raise your hand. There you go. Yeah, me too. Uh, well, it was a Southeastern Alumni Golf Tournament. So I decided to go, and I had my bag. <laughs> I was running a little late, and um, and I could see, I could see, a hundred yards from me that all the alumni were already having the meeting with the golf pro. And I'm running as fast as I can, and I noticed that when I was getting closer and closer, everybody just stopped and stared at me, and I was trying to be quiet. And the reason they all stared at me is little did I know that the golf shoe had changed and they were no longer metal cleats. So I was... <laughs> and the first thing the golf pro says, hey, uh, you're going to have to change those uh, studs. Uh, we don't wear those anymore. And I was so embarrassed. It was very embarrassing. Uh, but from that point on, I would play golf from time to time. I got a better set of clubs. I got a better bag. I got better shirt. I have better golf pants. I have better golf shoes. I have a nice golf hat. I have uh, all sorts of little tools that I use with my golf bag when I go golfing. But one thing I never actually, uh, I've been playing golf for 40 years. Anybody been playing, uh, actually more. So about 50 years. Anybody play golf more than 50 years? All right. Uh, Patrick, how many years have you been playing golf? 20, 20 years? Yeah. 
So you would think that uh, somebody who's been playing golf for 40 years is better than a, a golfer who's been playing 20 years. But is that the case? Not in my case. If there was a, I imagine, a $5,000 golf tournament and Patrick needed the 5,000 bucks and he needed to come up with a foursome, I don't think he would pick me. <laughs> Even though we have, I have 40 years of playing golf. There's probably a kid right now at Leon High School who's only been playing golf for probably a year who's better than me. And one of the reasons he's probably better than me is that he's probably taken the time to train and develop and learn and play. But I doubt it unless his parents paid for it, he has better equipment than I do. And see, this is what happens to us spiritually. We could literally be part of the church. You could join a country club, but it doesn't make you a good golfer. You can have the best golf clubs, but it doesn't make you a good golfer. We have to work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit and allow him to change our lives so we can live up to the jersey called saints. Yes, we get to wear the jersey. We're part of the team. But God wants more. He wants us to be like Christ. And we have to work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. We are entering a relationship with God. And all of a sudden, if we allow him, we have to work and submit and bow our knee to him. Your will be done, not mine. There has to be a radical reorientation. There's a famous person named Charles Barkley. And if you ever watched him golf, he has the most unconventional golf swing. He learned on his own, and he just, it's just really weird. And he's had training, and he's had coaching, uh, but he still, he still comes back to it. But we need to submit to the Holy Spirit daily. And allow him to change us and allow him to deal with those bad things that we do that don't help us to become fully in Christ. He wants to set us free from the, liberate us from the, the habits of bad sins in our lives, character flaws. But we have to say yes, it has to be intentional. And Jesus is in the business of helping us. Holy Spirit's in business in empowering us. So that's why someone could be a Christian, on fire Christian, for less than three years and be more spiritually mature than someone who's been sitting in the pew for 30, 40 years. So the question is, I've been sitting in the pew for 40 plus years, but do I, do I act like a 40-year spirit-filled veteran? The reason I'm still a golf hack is I don't, I'm not intentional about playing the game. I have a friend of mine, pastor friend of mine, John Skipper. He literally goes to the range three times a week. He purposely tried to buy a house close to the range. He's my age. But man, he is an incredible golfer because he was intentional about becoming a better golfer. I intentionally play about twice a year. 
the Speed of Light tournament, and, you know, maybe some other event. And thank God for best ball. If you don't know anything about best ball, that means four of you on a team, and you, whoever hits the best ball, you all hit the second shot from that spot. It's no fun if you have four hackers. It is fun when you have one really good player. And then you can piggyback off of his or her hits. And I would hate to think, spiritually speaking, that God would not want me to be part of his team. Amen. Give your heart to Jesus, Jacqueline. He'll change your life. Turn over your life to him. Don't be that person that relies on the great golfer or the great spiritual person and you're just a hack. You be that person in your family. Do your kids come to you spiritually? Would they come to you? Would your brothers and sisters come to you? Would your brother in your, your, come to you because you are a spiritual giant? So, sadly, too many of us in the church, we know how to dress, we know how to act, we know how to do certain things. Now, again, I'm not trying to make, I, I love Jacqueline, but man, she did something powerful. She just kneeled before Jesus. You know, I don't know where she's in her journey with Jesus, but powerful. When's the last time we knelt before Jesus? Just think, you could have been part of the church for 40, 50 years and never knelt before the Lord. And she just did. Amazing. That's what I'm saying. God wants to work with us. He want, he's begun a good work in us, and now we have to work in conjunction with him. It's not enough to buy the nice golf equipment. It's not enough to just buy the right Bible. It's not enough to wear the right clothes and listen to the right 88.1. This is how you know where you're at. It's when the valley comes. When the valley comes, you know, you're forced into some golf tournament. And, yeah, and at the Southeastern alumni, somehow I picked the first, I was the first one to go and everybody's in hole one. And they're watching me. And by God's grace, man, my ball went straight and far. Good thing they didn't see the second shot. But you don't really know until that time comes. And what I noticed in a lot of my friends, a lot of people in my ministry in years past, is, boy, the tough time comes and nowhere to be found in the body of Christ. So thank you for being here. I think this is a great sign. It's a great sign, but not the only great sign of being part of a fellowship. It takes time to develop spiritual maturity. But it's not simply a product of time. Does that make sense? It takes time, but it's not because of time. Same thing with our relationship with God. Spiritual life takes time, but not just a product of time. I'd like to pick on my son Micah here, who is uh, just diving into God's word. Thank you, 
uh, Christopher to leading that discipleship class. There's some guys that are part of his class. I'd like to pick on all my kids, all of them. Uh, my daughter takes, leads a, a Bible study, and uh, Mason is downstairs with the youth. Um, just really proud of my, my kids. Um, and Eric, my son-in-law, you know, you know, he's up here a lot. And again, they, it, it's not because they've been part of the church for 50 years. They're brand new, really, in, in the walk, in their journey with Jesus. But they've made it a point. But thank you, Dr. Christopher and Adam and uh, Daniel and Ross and our elders to pouring into our, our family. So it's not just time. It's in synchronization with the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I'm going to stop here because it is 12 o'clock. He who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you. I pray that that work is continuing. As I finish here, I ran into a brother in the Lord that got saved about the same time I did. And uh, wow, his journey with Jesus, uh, he's still a baby Christian. Just still a little baby, but now he's 58. You know, we were 18 when we got saved. Now he's 58 and he still hasn't progressed in his journey with Jesus. Don't let that happen to you and me. Continue to, he who began a good work in you. He who began a good work. Help us to live up to the name of saint. Thank you for allowing us to wear the jersey. But Lord, help us to now live up to our identity to be more like Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for letting us wear the jersey. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. For me, really, it was 18 and then again at 22, Lord, 23 years old. Thank you for... At 18, I got the jersey, and at 18 and a half, I gave it back to you. But at age 22, Lord, you just conquered me with your love and your forgiveness. And Lord, I know that I've been serving you for 40-plus years, but I pray, God, that I am a 40-year spiritual mature person. Thank you, God. I pray for our church, Lord, as we journey with you throughout life. And, and uh, Lord, we've been through uh, valleys and mountain peaks. I pray, God, that you would help us to live up to the good work that you've already started, to the, the name that Paul calls the church in Philippi, saints. Every eye closed, head bowed. You know, you can say, Pastor Mario, I, I just pray for me. Um, there's still room for the Holy Spirit to work in my life. That's pretty vague. I'm raising my hand. Yes. And just amen. Thank you, Lord. Help us to live up to your name, followers of Christ. Lord, help us to become the person you've declared us to be positionally. Thank you, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, you're going to work in us, make us the men and women of God that you've destined for us. Help our church. We love you, Father, and thank you in Jesus' name.
Let me give you a word of encouragement, maybe a step of practicality. If someone were to ask you to be more like Jesus, um, if you were more like Jesus today than you were yesterday or last year, what would your honest answer be? And just write it down and remind yourself, there's, I, need to, I, need to get, I need to get with the program, with the Holy Spirit program. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.